Winston Churchill became prime minister. This was early on in the war. Germany had already taken Poland. This is kind of sounded familiar today of big countries taking over another little country. And they uh, took over Belgium and the Netherlands. They were moving into France. And it was quite the problem is if you look geography-wise, when they moved in from France, that was heading toward the English Channel, over to where England was. And England and the Allies were fighting against this. And he came into this when they were early on in the war, and all the troops over there were, um, were getting defeated, just to say. Uh, the German army was superior with their weaponry and all those things, and they were driving the Englishmen, and there's many casualties, and they had to keep retreating back in France to a point where when Winston uh, Churchill had looked at this, he's asking, you know, what can we do? And it's, it, was, it was hopeless. It seemed hopeless. His only plan was to get those people out of there to, 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 to rescue them. Now, the parliament that he was around and all the people around him he was kind of a different kind of fella. Um, I was talking with John about it. He, he's kind of like a Donald Trump fella. There's some people liked him for what he stood and how he stood for things, but he was a little mm, off in some things. Uh, the king himself was a little leery of, of him and his, and his ways. But he always stood for victory. He had to sign the, the B for victory. We just sung victory in Jesus there. And so he was set in his mind that they're not going to give in to Hitler and his regime, which his parliament was really pushing because all they could see was we are getting pushed out. We are going to lose our entire force here. And they wanted to make peace with Hitler and Mussolini, who was involved at that point to make a peace treaty, and he said no. And his party was working at pushing him out of being prime minister. And uh, they had their ways of doing that. The king was, and him were kinda um, at odds. So he has this big thing that, and I want you to think about this spiritually. There's this big evil, call him Hitler, his regime who is beginning to take over and push his way into all countries. The way he saw it and the people knew it, if they gave into him, they would be a puppet state ran by Hitler. Their, their country would change. They, they would have their country, but they would be a puppet state. Swastika maybe flying over England. He didn't want that, but there was the pressure of the parliament to say to go make peace. There was his internal pressure of all these men who look like they're going to die. He comes up with a plan to retreat from Calais, which was taken over into Dunkirk, which is right across where the English Channel is, and to move them out. He needed it. Miracle. He called on actually civilian ships, as long as as well as the warships, 
civilian ships of certain sizes that could go onto the beach to ferry them out to the larger ships. So here's the predicament. But he's really looking at, he's starting to falter in his stance and thinking that maybe he has to make peace with it and some, sign some kind of treaty with Hitler. But in the movie, I don't know exactly how it all happened, but there's a part where the king comes back to him and kind of embraces him and encourages him and says, I'm behind you, whatever you do. Let me give you a piece of advice that you gave me one time when I was looking for an answer. You told me to go to the And so in that part, and as far as the movie goes, he went down, and I, he was a very people person. <laughs> he got off his guarded car, went to the subway, and people were shocked when, you know, to see him. And he began talking to them, and he was a really interesting person. He, was, he knew how to, how to speak. He had a kindness about him, and he talked to the people, and he talked about the situation just so and he painted a picture of what it would be like. You know, and these were people whose, whose sons and brothers and, and whoever was over across the sea about to die from Hitler's push. And they spoke up and they said one word. Never. Never. That's probably the key word in that movie. He took that and he immediately went back to the parliament and had a speech and he just got a hold, God got a hold of him and in that parliament, he turned that whole parliament and they were saying no. They were all together. They're not going to let this happen. They're willing. The people said, I'd rather die than for this evil to come upon us. Never, never will we we live in a day today where evil is coming down and saying with their agenda and it's this gay pride month this month pushing their agenda like a force and they missed. They want to make peace. They want to, to be equal. They want to they want to kind of rule this thing. And we've had churches who have allowed things into the church and has fallen under the pressure. But we need to say, never. Never. Now, getting back to Winston Churchill, the army retreated. Germans and the little boats came in, the civilian boats came in, pulled men out, got them onto the big places, I think 330,000, something, some number like that. They got them safely back. Winston Churchill said, This is nothing short of a 
But he also said this. He warned the people that war is not won by retreat. This wasn't a victory. It was an amazing thing. It was a wonderful thing. We are in fashion in a war. This morning, I want to preach out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. I believe it will take probably a couple Sundays to go through the entire message, which will be entitled, Never. 2 Timothy chapter 2 describes the activity and duty of a believer. He uses seven figures of speech in his address to enhance the meaning of our call to duty. He uses the figure of a son or as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer, as a workman or studier, as a vessel and as a servant. And that'd make a great outline in itself. All those are mentioned in this one chapter. And we're gonna go through that chapter today. Now I may touch on those titles, but the emphasis of the message will come from a heart of resolve to serve God at all costs resulting in a list of things never to do as a Christian. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord God, just as that you would raise in us a will, a desire to serve you, to serve Christ, to not allow the enemy to penetrate into our churches, into our families, Lord God, to allow sin in, to make deals with the devil, Lord God, but that we would stand, even at the cost of our lives. It was at the cost of Christ's life. And may we have that resolve in our hearts today. And may we take serious 2 Timothy chapter 2 in our lives. Because it's just not that fervor in ourselves to stand. It's going to take some things. It took five years to win that war. It was not a pretty thing. And so, Father, we're going to go through some things. Our people are going through some things. I ask for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I begin the the impetus of this, this message um, is something as I prayed about and looking at the families, all our families are going through something that's going to be difficult. And we got to learn how are we going to get through these difficulties. Tim and Esther is going to be living right next door to me. Listen, we'd be a fool if we didn't think there's going to be some challenges. When you got married, you didn't come live with me. You live on your own. But there's a time here. We're going to work through it. We're going to be resolved. Okay? Sometimes we just need to ignore each other once in a while because we get a little rich. You know? And it just gives some grace there. Sometimes we might have to sit together and say, let's we need to make a different plan here. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't come like that. 
you know, but that's, that's what it is. But what we need to realize is we're together in this. John's going through some things. Uh, ben, I just heard you talking about a house project. And whenever you talk about a house project, uh, that's craziness. We got the farmers to you get your hay in? No. It's raining Monday. It's going to rain Monday. Yeah. <laughs> See? I haven't talked to AJ a whole lot, uh, but I'm sure there's things in his life and with Deb and the kids there. We're going to have to put on our armor. Okay? So, 2 Timothy, we'll just go through verse by verse. God gives us a really, Paul, tell, Paul gives this, but it's God giving us uh, what we need to be in this, this warfare that we have. Some of it's difficult. I want you to ask God to help you to see if you're failing in any of these areas. 2 Timothy 2.1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, he says, my son, never, never forget who you are as a Christian. You are a child of God. And by the way, unlike that war, which had uncertainty, we've already got the victory. Christ has already won the victory. You are a child of God. Then it says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Never let your strength be of the law, but of grace. I plan at some point to teach on the dispensations. It's really important to, to really fully understand your Bible, to understand the, uh, the sections of it and dispensations. The law was given to what I would call the teenage dispensation of mankind. True to typical teenagers, I say typical, they are focused on their wants. They just need to know from their parents their rules to maintain a minimal relationship so that they can fully have their own desires fulfilled. That's what a teenager does. I, I recall as I look to the Lord and look back at my teenager's life, and I looked at the situations and the things my parents were going through. All I cared about was myself, really. I was selfish. And I might have been the people probably praised me and said, oh, I was a goody-goody and all those things. No, I wasn't. I was just selfish. They were going through some really difficult times. Divorce. They got back together. My mom really needed me, but my mom was on the west side of town. I had my friends and my things going on up here. Hey, you're going through uh, high school graduations, right? What's this high school graduation? Big pictures of all of what I've done. Look at me. That's what they're about. That's typical of a teenager. A Christian can try to live this way by meeting a certain set of standards. We could come in, okay, and by the law, okay, I'm at all the services. I do this, I did this, I've met all this, and now I can do all I want to do because I've met this. That was the law. That's how the Jews uh, lived. And it ended up, the very end of that was them putting Christ on the cross. That kind of attitude. 
Grace. <laughs> what is living by grace? Grace is what we're to be strong in. It's not following a set of rules. Grace is getting, we've talked about this before, what you don't deserve. It is the power of God. It is asking for it. It's seeking for it. It's acting upon it. It's not maintaining. It is the conquering power of God. It is not this like little separated life here of my life and taking care of God's things here. It's all about God and it's about his power and conquering, which only he can do. His grace can take us where we cannot go on our own. Let's look at verse 2. First of all, I said never forget who you are. Never let your strength be the law. Verse 2, and the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Never forget your responsibility to train the next generation. Living for God is beyond your life. It's on to the next life. You all have small children. You need to train. It's your responsibility. I'm telling you what, we can get off track, and we'll see some of these other things as a Christian where you can get off track on and what you forget is see them. Let me uh, tell me how I should how I should raise them, how I should move them, teach them the word of God. Now, uh, some of you may do this, but I, uh, Esther and Tim, or I know at least Esther, wakes up and, and it's a little time every morning. She gets them in the word of God. These kids are learning verses at an early age. It's made a priority. That's what this is talking about here. The things that's heard of me and many witnesses, same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's pretty important in a Christian life. Verse 3, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And, and you know, I, I want to encourage you, you're going to have to endure hardness. I know in my life in probably the last five, six, seven, eight years, I feel like I'm a soldier. <laughs> I should be. But I've kind of, it just doesn't matter. You know, I just don't get bothered about things. I don't get, like, I just got a job to do. I've got my next assignment. That's just what I do. People die. They die as part of it. You know, it's sad. We live in a sinful world. Sin takes people Sin makes sickness. These are, these are things that are going to happen. We can't, yes, we need to be tender, we need to be caring, we need to be loving, but they can't stop us. This is, this is old. My reader was just talking about that. You know, this, we're not getting that. This sin is all, all around us. Sometimes it's your sin that you bring on your own problems. Sometimes it's just sin in general. Every time I see something bad, I say, I hate sin. Somebody died? I hate sin. That was because of sin. Any bad thing that happens to somebody? It's all because of sin. 
hate it. We live in it. We deal with it. We walk through it. We don't get ourselves stuck in it. This was the verse that I really kind of drew me to thinking about you all. Just in, endure it. Go through it. Be a soldier. Never give up. Verse 3 begins, Thou therefore. <laughs> it says, Thou therefore endure hardness. What's the thou therefore? It tells me that the forming of the first two parts produces hardship in itself. The Lord tells us the mindset we must have to endure hardness. We must have the mindset of a good soldier. A good soldier receives instructions from his superiors. He performs it like he was trained. He does it without regards to his own life. He's committed to the task. He carefully manages his basic needs as to achieve the greatest performance. Yeah, he's got to eat. But it's not about where I'm going to eat today. It's about what can I eat to get me through what I need to go through today. We get lost a lot of times. And we just kind of get out away from the Lord. Sometimes we need to take a vacation, but that vacation always ought to lead back to strengthen us in our resolve for the Lord. Verse 4 says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he need please him who hath chosen him to be what? A soldier. Never let your goals in life be centered or focused on the temporal things of this life. Things like better houses, more money, more things, more time for your hobbies and interests, vacations, investments, retirements, etc. <laughs> we all have to deal with those things, but that's not to be the focus of our life. We just, I like what Brother Mike was reading in Psalm 1 there. Tells us where our intents and thoughts need to be. The world wants to get you that. You know, a couple of you have been to those uh, oh, timeshares. And they're just trying to suck you into their world and life. It can take you away from God. That's the things of the world. You know, I'm pretty happy, you know, when I hear some things. Uh, you guys are building houses or talking about houses, and I hear things like, I wouldn't want, I just don't want that big of a house, you know. <laughs> because, you know, you're looking at what it's used for and what it takes to maintain it. You know, why do I want this, that is, that's, that's music to my ears, you're thinking that. But on the other hand, sometimes I'll hear people about the big house that they want. You'll go by and you see people with uh, mansions that two people live in, but they don't really live in there because their job takes them all over. What do you want all that for? These things put the focus on our wants and desires and takes us away from warring a good warfare. <clears throat> These may be necessary, but they're only to—they're only for the fulfilling of needs and never to be a source of satisfaction. The trick is to receive things, all these nice things that God gives us in thanksgiving. 
but to view them as just one time that God gave me this, thank you for that, and move on, not to make this a part of our bucket list. You know, that's the big thing, you know, everybody has their bucket list of their wants. That's, that's what they're going after. The latter part of this verse shows us what our focus is to be as a good warring soldier for Christ, for the motive of pleasing him. And we talked about that this morning as well. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. There's our motive, to please God. You know, when I grew up, this is one thing I believe the Lord blessed my life in. An attitude that I had through life, growing up, it was really important to me to please my parents. And I went out of my way to please them. I believe God blessed me for that. We should go out of our way to please Christ. If we get involved in things, we won't war a good warfare. Jesus paid a big price so that all men could be saved. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Ezekiel 33:11 said, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye, turn, turn ye from your evil ways, and for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Our motive is to please Jesus. Jesus' motive was to save everybody. Our motive should be to the saving of mankind. It's that simple. That's how we're going to please him, to bring people to Christ. This is the heart's motive of a good soldier. Now, we can all have different parts in that. Don't think that, don't let the devil say, you know, this, these, these are, this is the part you have to take. But there's a part everybody can take in toward that goal. Just being here at church. Fellowshipping. Being in unity. Giving. All those things. All those little things. You might be bringing some child to church. Or you may be a strong witness and go out there and, and go out on the streets and on a corner and witness to people. You know, different things for different people, but we all, whatever we do, we ought to see the end goal of what it's doing is pleasing Christ by bringing people to the Lord. First Timothy 1.17, Now under the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Verse 5 says, And if a man strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Now this is getting into the athletic part that he's referring to here. Here's the never in this. Never cheat. Never cheat. Here Paul uses the example of an athlete. An athlete is in it for one thing. I can tell you, I like sports. I'm in it to one thing, and that's to win. Man has within him, I believe, given from God to win. 
we men have that desire to to do that now we get it out of control we do some wrong things and we do some things unlawfully um, but winning is anything from a game to a sport to even serving God it is so strong that feeling or desire to win that I heard someone say and I'm going to say that this is the world's philosophy that if you are not cheating you are not trying hard enough I know what that's like <laughs> God warns us that we must strive lawfully there are rules in races what does that mean in serving the Lord it means that we are to abstain from fleshly ways now I can think of some things of myself as a pastor and things I have seen in the ministry I may desire to grow the church and we just said that to win souls is at the heart of God, and, and that is a good motive in itself. But if I do that by lording over the flock, and I can preach some real hard to make you feel guilty, or we need money because I've got my plans and how to do this, and we're going to build this, and I can drive the people. I can lord over them. That's not lawful. We're not, a pastor is not to be lord over the flock. I would say any fleshly attempts to do God's work is striving unlawfully. If we seek numbers to exalt ourselves for pride or for money, which happens a lot, we are striving unlawfully. If we lower standards to make people comfortable, It's striving unlawfully. It's not just pastors, but church members can do the same kind of things in our lives. Let's look at verse 6 and 7, and we'll end here. Next week I'll finish the message. It says, The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Now here, what is a husbandman? He's a farmer. All right? He's talking like how a farmer might look. Now Paul, as he uses this farmer as an example, I can't say for sure what this may altogether mean, but it stands to reason that the husbandman, the one who, a husbandman is one who takes care of all the crops and, and so forth and the and the, uh, the animals or whatever for his master. But it would stand to reason that the husbandman would taste the fruit to be sure it is good before he pre presents it to the master or sells it for profit to his, to his master, or to the, uh, to the world for his master. The goal is just not to produce fruit. It is pr to produce excellent fruit. Okay. When I selected produce at Giant Food, we had, uh, there were employees who were called buyers. Okay. And boy, boy, they had the job. Uh, apparently, they made a lot of money. This was a very, very important job. And here was their job. 
The trucks came in and these buyers would inspect the load and dig into several skids of the produce and then cut into it and sample it. If it did not meet their standards, the load was rejected. Now I worked for Giant Food and it was sent to Safeway, which was the next lower level. From what I understand, if Safeway didn't like it, it went down to Aldi, you know, or whatever, you know. It just kept going down like that. It was important. Giant Food knew, I understood this, the produce area was not the money-making area. It was a losing area. They paid me a lot of money to work there to select the stuff. But they knew that the profit wasn't in the fruit. The quality of the fruit was what brought customers to their store. That's it. They didn't make money on the fruit. But people who want to go to stores and get good produce, they would go to that store, they would get the rest. They knew how important fruit was. Now, in the verse prior, we talked that we can take unlawful shortcuts in producing spiritual fruit. Have you ever took a bite out of what appeared to be a perfect apple and all it was was mush? I don't know about you, but I like a crisp apple. I'll bite into something and it's a mush. Oh. Would you ever bite in and there's a big worm in it? You can wax up about any apple to make it look delicious. Believe me, the fruits of man's ways are unacceptable, God. We see churches producing some horrible fruit in them. Here's the never of this verse. Never trust what you have decided in life to do is godly until you first taste it against God's word. This is really important. <laughs> we have our ideas and we have our thoughts. Remember, our thoughts are not his thoughts necessarily. We're our ways, his ways. We need to, to bring it into the judgment of God's word. Sometimes God will take us to a path so that we can do make the mistake so he can correct us. Sometimes he takes us down a path, and it's a blessed path. Is what you are doing really producing good fruit for God? What are your motives, really? Does what you are doing bring you closer to God through his church? Because God gets glory through the church. Or is what aren't you doing, uh, is it really your ideas and what you want to do? We talked about this before. We had a book that brought out, that really brought out the thought of the biggest liar that you'll ever meet is who? Yourself. You will lie to yourself about things. So I didn't really have a good stopping point, so I don't know how far I would get. But I think that's where I want to leave the first part of this message. The nevers. Never just assume your idea is the right idea. Maybe it's not. Test the God against God's word. What is it doing? Is it taking you closer to God? 
and making you a better witness. Remember what we are to do. Our end goal is to magnify Christ, to give him glory, to win souls. Does that match up? something you need to taste for yourself and answer to God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. First of all, starting out looking at the evils of this world and wanting to push it into our churches, into our homes. And we need to say never. We cannot accept the lies of the devil. We must take a stand. We must say never to some things. If we're going to be a soldier for Christ, there's some things we need to just say never to. Is there something this morning that God has put his finger on? And maybe he just touched on it and you ignored it and wiped it away. Maybe you need to go back and think about that a little more. Let me tell you this. If God touches you, it's all for good. Do not ignore what God wants to teach you. I really do. It's amazing to think in the UK they're about ready to give in. This world can push on you and want to make you give up. Don't give up. Never. Just keep that word. Never. Father, thank you for all those who've come out today, I pray your word would bless their soul, give them direction. You're so good. Uh, help us to seek after you more than we ever have. And uh, may we have the resolve and, uh, and, uh, and just the courage to just to keep moving as a soldier through this uh, evil day that we live in, as it's called. And so, Father, help us to help each other, Lord. You've given your book and your word and your church and, and Christians so that we can join together in this battle. And may we do that, for we ask it in Jesus' name.